0: I think one of the silver linings with that is when you get these like tough things thrown in your direction, if you can overcome them at a young age, it starts to instill, you know, grit. It starts to like instill maybe work ethic or being okay with failure. If you have the potential of a product that has high repeat purchases where your lifetime value extends beyond that first purchase, the more you get this dialed in, the the more impactful all everything's gonna be for your business. So when you start talking about your features, your benefits, the problem you're solving and the the tech specs around it, you're already gonna have all that trust. Obviously you can throw in like reviews and social proof and before and afters, but really understanding the problem and articulating that, um, that's one of the best things you can do for trust.
1: So on today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with an e-commerce growth marketer, and I'm going to get his lessons learned from scaling 100 plus direct-to-consumer brands. Great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned.
2: Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation transformation in the last decade.
1: As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee, and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. Hi there, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunit Campbell, and this is a podcast dedicated to just rapidly and sustainably growing um, if you're in the e-commerce space. This episode you're about to listen to is an interview I had with Jim Hoffman. He is um, a co-founder of an agency called Growth Hit. He shares his lessons scaling or lessons learned scaling 100 plus e-commerce startups. Um, he This this is a very growth driven episode you you just don't want to miss he speaks to the aspects of design running advertising and then retention terrific episode he is um, a well-versed and well-rounded um you know, um, founder or e-commerce, um, you know, growth expert. And, um, yeah, he talked about impressive product launches, you know, they, they, they've been able to achieve and how to actually maintain that momentum through retention marketing. Um, he runs, um, he's, 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 he's operated, he's run, um, marketing campaigns for brands such as craft ministry of supply, Uber Eats and several other D2C e-commerce businesses. What more can I say? Enjoy this conversation I've had or I had with Jim. Cheers. and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit Clavio.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is klaviyo.com forward slash 2x. Hey Jim, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the 2x e-commerce podcast.
0: And Leigh, thank you for
1: having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been listening for a while. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Right. Um, so Jim, you your your founder CEO of Growth Hits. Um, you're uh you're you're more a, a growth agency from from what I gather um and what we've we've briefly discussed on. And um do you want to give a a one minute intro, quick intro about you and what you do at Growth Hits, please?
0: Yeah. So I'm Jim Huffman, the CEO of Growth Hit, And we are a growth team for e-commerce companies where you're like, hey, I, I want to grow. I want to go from selling hundreds of products to thousands of products. We've got a 30-person team that, that can help. And we essentially do three things. One is bottom of the funnel. Do you have a website that can convert doing website design and CRO? We do paid acquisition on ads, and then we do email marketing and, and SMS, really trying to control the, the the full funnel. And so we've been working on a growth program we've done now with over 100 different companies. So yeah, we, we're kind of nerds in the space. We, we really
1: love it. Interesting. So a, a team of 30, and you've worked with with, with with over 100 brands. And how long have you been been operating for? Yeah,
0: we've been around, you know, for a little over five years, the first few, to be honest, were just myself as a glorified consultant or freelancer. And in the past few years, I was like, you know what, let's, let's really go all in on this. And and that's when it's been fun to to build out a team um, and start to try and build the best in
1: class uh, company. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, before we jump into, uh, because I, I really want to talk about what growth entails in, in 2022, given all the challenges and also opportunities, um, from, from the past few years, well, I, I want to find out more about you, Jim. Um, you know, um, I, do you want to give me a bit of a background? So, you know, um, what was your childhood like what, what 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 were your teen years like and um you know and, and how did that sort of just pipe into to, to you as an adult so, so let's let's get back to, to 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 jim as a child please yeah um i mean had a fairly normal upbringing
0: i grew up in the suburbs of, of oklahoma city but one thing that was kind of very impactful for me growing up was when my my dad passed away when i was seven of als lou gary's disease and you know that's hard for anyone to go through, much less when you're when you're seven. And so a lot of issues came with that. Um, I got held back in school, I had a speech impediment, a lot, a lot of things weren't going in my favor. But I think one of the silver linings with that is when you get these like tough things thrown in your direction, if you can overcome them at a young age, it starts to instill you know, grit starts to like instill maybe work ethic or being okay with failure. And I I see some of those things now as I am a Monday morning quarterback and how those informed how I do things as a business owner. And so for me, it was like being able to get my grades back up. I I really gravitated towards sports and um, loved the basketball and played that all through high school and got a scholarship to a small D3 school. I didn't take it, (laughs) but, um, But, um, but yeah, that was kind of my childhood, um, that, that definitely informed probably the, the person, uh, who, who I became.
1: So Jim, it it sounds like you had a really tomulous, um, you know, childhood, um, but you, you seem to, to have a focus, you know, on, on, on finance. Was it because you were analytical, um, how, how did, how did you sort of carve out that journey, um, for, 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 for yourself?
0: yeah I always did better in in math and with numbers than english and that combined with being curious is is what I really liked about it. and but really it was a gateway into business and entrepreneurship is what led me down the path of finance
1: mm, mm, mm. Uh, and, and then um did you where did you study and um you know how when did you get into the, you know, finance industry? Was it a, a clear pathway um into, into the finance industry?
0: No, I I was at the University of Kansas where I, I took a finance class and there was some impressive stuff there with people in New York that would come back to Kansas and teach. Uh, there was a hedge fund class and investment making class. So I knew I wanted to get into that, but my grades, were I was like a 3.4 GPA, right? Um, I was also like working in college. So I would send letters out to all these investment banks and I got denied by essentially everybody. But there was one that would take a risk on me and, and I got that job in Dallas. And what's interesting, um, I was working there and in 2008, there was this huge, obviously like the, the economic crash and they laid off every analyst but me. And the reason why I definitely wasn't the smartest, I could Count on my hand how many people are smarter than me, but I worked probably harder than anybody else, or I had more grit. Um, as far as I'd be working Saturdays and Sundays, so maybe that—that's why they—they they held on to me.
1: <laughs> and 2008 was a tough time. Right? <laughs> you know, um, there there echoes to, to to what we're facing now with with 2008 um with the retention um there how long did you last um what was 2000 and, and how did you get into marketing agency from finance
0: yeah i was so with this small investment bank we're doing mergers and acquisitions and i'd be in these rooms where someone's about to sell their company for you know 30 million 100 million dollars and it was eye opening cuz i'm in this room and i didn't want to be the investment banker or the lawyer in the room I wanted to be on the other side of the table. I wanted to be that business owner. So for me, I was like, I'm in the wrong profession. And so that's when, you know, I, I made kind of the big leap going from finance to going into startups. And I, I found one that was out in New York that was about to launch in Dallas. And I kind of raised my hand, hey, I'd, I'd love to take a crack at that. And so I had no idea what I was doing. And, and I jumped into it and got lucky mainly because they had an amazing product. And we helped grow, well, I was the, the main guy there. I We grew it in Dallas from nothing to like 100,000 customers. And then from that, I got to go to New York at the, at the headquarters and and work with like kind of the founding team to build it out. And then from there, I, I went to another startup um, and was able to, you know, grow that one to a million users. And that opened the door to start teaching marketing and work with some venture capital firms. and. I started consulting on the side, and all of a sudden I'm like doing more consulting than I am for my full- time job, and it led to all of a sudden I have an agency so that was kind of the roundabout path of, of me starting growth hit
1: fascinating journey really, really fascinating and, and I think you're, you're you're now settled from a career standpoint. this is what you guys are doing full time you've, you've you've worked with about hundred plus um, e-commerce brands and these are not you know, um, mom and pop or, you know, less in the, in a less ambitious, um, spectrum, um, you, you guys have partnered with, um, some, some pretty impressive, um, you know, um, um, you know, um, e- well, incubators, startup incubators, not just e-commerce incubators, um, general assembly, we walk labs and tech stars. Do you want to sort of speak to, the difference from a mindset standpoint, from um, you know, from a company that or a founder that wants to disrupt a you know a vertical or an industry to um, you know, um, you know, a, an entrepreneur or, or or an e-commerce team that just wants to get a slice of of a market.
0: Yeah, when you're catching someone at an early stage. When you're a a startup or starting something, you're you're default dead. You're default out out of business. You know, it's on some big company that already has revenue coming in. So from the start, you have to be ready to put in the time. That combined with not just make money, but you're trying to grow. You're trying to grow 10% month over month. And you have these huge goals and aspirations. So it's definitely a different type of team you're working with. And it's a different type of playbook to pull that off because usually time is your enemy. So you're having to move very quickly. And we've also worked with big companies like Kraft has a disruption lab and we've worked with them. But, it's, but when it's when a founder who's just cobbled together some money or raised that, that Cedar A round, it's definitely in a, dis- a different pace and different type of persona that you're working with.
1: Hmm. hmm. Interesting. 10% growth month to month. Um, it require a very multidisciplinary team, you know, multiple channels, I would guess. Um, but before we, we, we actually even jump, you know, in, in, into that, um, let, let's talk about, um, you know, who you guys are now, you know, where, where, where are you now? Um, what's been the, the growth trajectory at, at, at your agency and, um, who, who are your sort of key players?
0: Yeah. Um, we're approaching 30 people. We're hoping to hit 3 million in sales this year. And some of the biggest levers for us is, one, investing in our creative studio. Because especially with consumer brands, whether it's your ads or your landing page, the bar keeps getting raised on creative. So that, that was a big move for us. The the second is, if you don't have a website that can convert, you really can't grow. So Conversion rate optimization has enabled us to get our foot in the door and really, really prove ourselves. And the other thing with our agency, we're we're not just trying to be like some 100-person agency. We actually, we believe if we're such a good growth team, why can't we grow our own products? And so we, we have a startup studio that we're really trying to put our foot on the gas with. One is a productized service called One Day Design, where we design a, a landing page in 24 hours for Shopify sites. But the one we're really excited about is it's our D2C brand, Handsome Chaos. And so, you know, ask me in two years if this is a, a good move or not, because we, we believe we know a lot on the marketing side of things. And so we're trying to put it to work with our own product
1: super fascinating um so you, you you're actually incubating um you know um consumer brand now
0: yeah and it, the way we started it was we actually would poll people based off of a problem we spoke to a thousand guys We're like hey do you have long hair and you don't have a product that works for you because it looks oily would you be willing to switch products to try ours and we got 70 percent of people to respond hey i'd be interested and then we set up a landing page we're able to get a 1,000 people on the wait list. Uh, we're like, hey, let's try and sell a product that doesn't exist. We're able to get 25 people to buy it. We had to refund them because the product didn't exist. And now we're manufacturing the product. But that has taken so long. Um, we're much better at marketing than uh, chemistry formulations. Um, but we just recently, after the like, 14th iteration, have a product that we're ready to take to market
1: interesting. No, Nothing good comes easy, especially, um, physical. So, um, you know, best of luck with, with, with that. Agreed. Okay. So you guys are very unique in the sense that, you know, many agencies would specialize in one or two, um, you know, um, sort of disciplines within, um, you know, a, um, to support an e-commerce business. So you just mentioned the fact that, um, you, you're very strong at creatives. I want to dig deeper into creatives. Um, you're into design. You're not just into design. You're into, you know, direct response design in terms of like CRO design in terms of, you know, um, ensuring people take, you know, the actions, um, you, you want them to take. And then, um, the, the other piece you, you mentioned earlier was like retention. You also, you know, sort of take on that lifecycle marketing Role. Now, what I want to do um, for the rest of this interview is really get into like first principle thinking in each of these um you know um disciplines. So we'll start out with creatives. How have creatives changed? Um wh- why has the bar been raised? There's there's IGC, which is influencer generated content, there's UGC, which is user-generated content or shopper generated content, and then there's you know um content brands produce what should be in in this age of TikTok, you know instagram Instagram, reels instagram facebook what should be the focus um or on on creatives by brands to to, towards really you know um you know generating um um you know um interest that that results to to clicks and you know hopefully sales
0: yeah and we've done so many experiments on this and things that have not worked because in a previous world you used to have to spend 20 to 50K on your launch video. You know, you're trying to recreate the Dollar Shave Club experience. And that could work, but that we've seen that flop so many times. And as people become almost numb to that, We're seeing more transparency, more authenticity, more raw type of content work. And so, to give more details on that, you know, like one very tactical thing is like something that does extremely well on TikTok that is user journey content when it's repurposed for meta and Instagram performs extremely well. But let's talk about like how that has to be laid out. So, the way we think about it is like, who are we going after? You have different types of persona, like the early adopter. Who is very much trying to solve a problem that's proactive? That's one persona. You have a second, which is a skeptic. They're like, they'll see something and they're already on their heels, like, no, 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 I don't believe this. And then the third persona, you have this almost oblivious person. And you have to, those three different people, you have to talk to in different ways and how you get in front of them. One, it's problem solution oriented. The second is more around trust and quality. And the third, Which, by the way, that oblivious person, that's who you should default to marketing. That's where you have to educate them on what this is, why they should care, and why now. And the best way to deliver that message, where we've seen, is getting someone else to talk about how amazing your product is in in a content format that doesn't feel professional, but it feels authentic. And so doing that narrative of storytelling, whether it's like introducing the category, because as one aside, anytime, I'm a big fan of the book, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Chapter two is category creation. When you're going after this oblivious person, if you can anchor it around a category you're creating, a problem you're solving within that category and why they should care. And if you can slice that up into... 25 seconds 45 seconds um where the product is the hero that's when it's really magical so i know that was kind of like very high level but um that's how we're we're thinking about it and so whether it's influencers or your customers or you're trying to do that yourself that's been the stuff that works extremely well for top of funnel acquisition type of content,
1: that makes a lot of sense. So the oblivious persona seems to be the most challenging, you know, of, of the three personas you 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 alluded to. And you know, if you serve, um, you you hit the nail on the head, um, you're you're able to 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 cater for all three. Um, I really like your point on category creation um, problem solving within the category and why they should care with your, with your product being the hero. Um, it, it, it really boils down as you, you alluded to, to, to this authenticity. Um, how should brands, um, you know, approach authenticity beyond, um, you know, having a, an influencer, you know, kind of, um, you know, give a good, testimonial review about you know you in in an ad you know what other um cues or trails are consumers you know savvy consumers looking for to determine authenticity to first time you know brands that they they come across yeah i mean so many people
0: i'm guilty of this as well you just want to copy and paste what other great brands are doing like oh they're mission driven we're mission driven oh they're doing a community we're going to do a community and that might work, you might get lucky, but you have to just boil down to, okay, why are we starting this? Do we have a true, like authentic story of the founding story or second, do we have a, a real problem or even a silly problem that we're trying to solve and we wanna rally around? And what is our voice, what is our tone? And being very honest with something that represent it, represents you because customers are smart. They will dig. They'll go to your about us page. They'll poke around on social. And when they start to see you're just doing something as like a tactic that isn't true to you, they'll be out. They'll be, they'll be out even before they can convert or do that, that next purchase. And so really trying to figure out what makes sense for you. Cause you can have anything, but you can't have everything. And you have to make that decision on the lane you want to pick. And it's so hard in the early days to be like, nope, nope. I'm not going to niche down, I'm going to go to everything. But if you do niche down, if you do make that decision on where you want to play, what you want to be, and then say no to everything else, those are the brands that break out, right? Those are the brands that do
1: something special. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omnichannel channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values, turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. gorgeous.com that's g-o-r-g-i-a-s.com and mention 2x e-commerce podcast for two months free that is gorgeous.com for two months free just mention 2x e-commerce in regards to like platforms for, for 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 gaining attention um what where is Facebook? Where is Instagram? Where Where is TikTok? Um, what What's your channel mix at the moment? Uh, a growth hit.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about at a high level. What are your options if you want to grow? If you're a DTC brand, you have four options. You have paid channels that you can participate in. We'll talk about that. The second option is organic channels you could play in. Whether well, that's uh, that's SEO, um, content marketing, organic social. The third that you have is you can try and grow through virality or referrals. And then the fourth and final one is you can grow through partner channels, right? You're selling on Amazon, you're selling on wholesale. So brands need to be very intentional with the stage that they're at. What can they actually focus on and do extremely well? And for us, We have to be able to show ROI on the channels we're growing on. And so we we don't do a lot of things that I recommend brands should do. Like we don't do SEO and they should definitely do that. We don't do PR. They should definitely do that. We don't do organic TikTok, which brands should absolutely be doing from a brand awareness play. Um, For us, though, still the best channel to grow for paid acquisition, and this could change in 6 to 12 months, it's still meta as number one for us and then Google second. I mean, that can vary depending on the product category, um, but that's absolutely the ones that are repeatable and scalable in an ROI positive way. We are absolutely like have our finger on the pulse of like what's going on with TikTok and watching it there, watching the performance. But we're not seeing the scalability yet on the paid acquisition side, but, but that can definitely slip. Um, so and, and the other call out is a lot of companies want to be diversifying to do so many channels at once where we see that being a mistake. Instead of trying to do everything, choose one master it do it really well and scale it and then move to the next thing so until you're spending over 15 or 20k a month on ads really figure out that one that works very well because you, we can look at a lot of this like top growing brands and they, they got to six seven figures usually on the back of one to two channels um so that, that's a common issue that we see
1: yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, I think you're, 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 bang on right in, in the sense that, um, you, if you master one channel, then, um, and you, you, you achieve scale, you know, um, achievable scale on, on that channel. Um, then, then you have, um, you, you, you could have that conversation of moving to, to the next channel rather than having to, 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 to go to try so many channels. Um, I'm also interested in that um, meta and um you know Google come you know top of your list. So in the Google space, are you speaking to YouTube ads or Google search ads? Um, yeah. Um
0: both actually. So with, with Google, it's like, okay, uh, yes, we have to protect our brand name where you're bidding on like your brand name, handsome chaos or whatever that would be. Then it's a question of, okay, do we want to play in the competitive landscape where you're going after a competitor's name, which that can be a slippery slope when you play that game and it's totally dependent on industry um The third is you're looking at what keyword mapping should you do to drive the non branded keywords you go after, like is it like, hey, you know hair products for guys with long hair or dry shampoo for men, things like that. Google Shopping, especially if you can really compete on price or, or do a category takeover, is huge. Um, and then YouTube, YouTube um, is really exciting whenever you're, you, you're doing kind of the bumper ads and you're pairing it with the, the videos that you want to be aligned with. But video production <laughs> for YouTube, getting that right, is in something that, just being transparent, it's not something that we do. But where you're usually getting that video content, and when it when you can get their attention in five seconds and get them to hang on, it's it's pretty magical. But that's something where we're looking to add to the roadmap.
1: Okay, makes sense, makes sense. And then meta, uh, the big elephant in the room. Um, it's it's been through its its peaks and troughs, um, to to say the least. Where do you think it is in its journey now? Is it stabilizing? Um, well, 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 I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah. So when the iOS 14.5 update happened, it just, it rocked everybody. Um, our, our agency included. And what we did is we, we actually invested five figures to, there, there was the Facebook disruption team, the internal team at Facebook that would basically decide the algorithm. So we started working with someone that was a part of that team. Um, and we've changed how we optimize our ads in four times in the past year. And just in the past four months, we've had some of the best success. And, and here's the reason why. With the meta algorithm, you have like you know, three to four levers you can pull. One is um, your targeting is one lever. The second is around your account architecture. The third is your copy, your offer, your positioning. And the fourth is your creative. And historically interest-based targeting was fantastic. Then it was lookalikes. But here's the truth. Like internally and meta, they haven't updated interest-based targeting in over three years. Mm -hmm. Um, And right now, the best way to find your audience actually isn't with the targeting, it's with your creative, because it will find the people that will engage with it with the events that you see fit. The other issue is, if you still have an account architecture that's using the 2019 or even the 2020 playbook, you're probably hurting yourself because you need to default more to broad, let the creative run, and actually make sure you're getting your ads out of learning. So what does that mean for the non-nerds on this um, podcast is how many events can you get in a week, whether that's a purchase event, to feed back to the algorithm like, hey, 50 people made this purchase. Let's find more people like them. The more you get out of the algorithm's way to get over 50 events so they can then find people that represent those 50 that did the event, you get out of learning, you get into optimization mode and you can get your cost per acquisition down. And there are some simple kind of account structures you can do to enable enable Mm -hmm. this. And when we started defaulting to this methodology it's it's been transformative for for our accounts e- even in the post ios world
1: super super interesting on, on that on on the meta w- what is this disrupt team and w- what's five figures did you have to pay you know to to, to get to, to have access to them
0: yeah, so basically um it's the internal team at Facebook and people spun out and they're they're giving courses and updates on how to run your ad accounts based on how the algorithm changes. Um and so it's, you know, a, a cohort-based class that that happens on a quarterly basis. Um and so yeah, it's essentially 10 grand to to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So it's something we don't make our clients pay. We pay uh because we have to. I would rather pay that amount and have really happy clients than not pay that amount and just be hitting our head against the laptop every day trying to, um, wonder why ROAS isn't where it should be.
1: Right. So, so it's with X employees of Facebook. Exactly. Right. Interesting. 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 I'll, I'll try and link to it in the show notes. Um, if when have to, right. Yeah, I can. Um, send it to- fantastic. Thank you. Um, then, um, you get that click. So, so, so. All of our activities on Facebook um, is essentially optimized for 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 for, for attention one, and um, and and the click you know to to get through to the website for a potential conversion. So, what what should the first few seconds or what should the moment you know they, um, you know when when traffic or, or people get to your site you know feel and look like what well, what should how should you know, brands sort of prime them up for, for the intended objective?
0: Yeah, so first it's knowing like where you're landing them based on the traffic source, like assuming it's from ads, know that, okay, we're probably on mobile uh, more more than likely. And then like, what is this ad? How did we prime them? Is it more of like this fun awareness play, like educating them on the category or is it higher intent? Like they're ready to make a buying decision. So do we still need to educate or can we prime them to convert and take action? So that's something that we're thinking through. And another thing, especially when you're starting out, we've got to make sure you have, um, you know, obvious and non-obvious trust signals, like non-obvious ones are like, is the site loading in a clean way? Does it have high quality images, things that demonstrate that, hey, this is probably legit. Um, And then another thing is so many times, I see really cool brands with really cool websites that have really bad conversion rates because they they weren't thinking through the fact that, yes, it needs to look great, but we need a site that converts. And the truth with any e-commerce funnel or website, there's three to seven reasons why people don't convert. So if you start with that idea in your mind, how are you addressing those? So those could be people aren't converting because of price, quality, trust, Confusion in how it works, shipping, urgency, or comparison shopping. So, usually out of those options, there's two or three that are the most prominent. So, if you're launching fitness equipment that's $300 to $400, we probably know we're up against comparison shopping and we're up against price and quality. So, if those are our biggest barriers, how are we addressing that? We're addressing that with, hey, this is used by the quarterback for the 49ers or hey the engineering that went into this it's like you know it, it's from like the the olympic teams training coach that came up with this um you can have them in the form of like reviews another thing if it's price how can you make the price more obtainable where it's anchoring against something more expensive or yes this is a grand but it's actually you know $75 a month or or whatever that could be and so really you know, knowing why people aren't converting, because the average conversion rate on a, you know, Shopify website is probably two percent. Ninety-eight percent of your traffic isn't converting. And you do you definitively know why? And a lot of people don't because it's hard to like see why your baby's ugly. But the more you lean into that pain and understand it, you can then design a website around those points of friction in the decision journey. And when you can address them the right way. That is the biggest unlock you can have for growth. That can take you to that next level.
1: Yeah. So, so, I, I was talking about um, for 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 new brands, you know, trying to um, make a very impressionable, um, you know, impact on um, on the on their perception and, and and build out trust. What do you think they should have? What infrastructure should they have in place um, to to cater to? Um, to, to 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 get in, um, you know, not just attention but but trust from um, from from prospects, you know, when um, when they they land on their site.
0: Yeah, we re- it's real easy to want to talk about your amazing features or the details behind it, and there's there's great places for that. But if you really want to earn trust, this is kind of a you know a, a counterintuitive not trick but um, strategy the more you can talk to the problem you are solving in the language that the customer understands. And when you really nail it, you are perceived as the expert or the leader just because you understand the problem so well. So the more you can do that, the more you can earn trust as having the right solution to what they need. So when you start talking about your features, your benefits, the problem you're solving and the tech specs around it, you're already going to have all of that trust. Obviously you can throw in like reviews and social proof and before and afters, but really understanding the problem and articulating that, um, that's one of the best things you can do
1: for trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, really getting that problem, um, you know, sorted. Okay. And and then um, from a design perspective, um, well. What should listeners be aware of um, from from web design and and branding? Um, you know, so you, we we talked about you know the the more CRO um, you know aspects, um, but but from a design perspective, how how do you sort of build that out?
0: Yeah, um, first from a like site architecture, it, it's kind of simple. It's like how many clicks are they having to take to get a purchase? How are we trying to activate them, whether that's, you know, through a quiz funnel, through subscribing, amazing navigation. So with that in mind, how does design play into that? If it's doing a quiz funnel, um, how do you actually make it fun and visual rather than text-based? If we have a flat page where they're going to one page where they can convert, we want to show that it's premium, but how can you also make it approachable and give people what they want, which is they want pictures in the wild. They want real people using it, um, seeing like other use cases of it. Because we struggle sometimes. We have some premium brands that just want the editorialized, beautiful shots. But we also see that seeing real people in these products, the user-generated content performs well. Yes. So having that right mix uh, can be very impactful uh, whenever you're doing it. And also, we want to say quite a bit, but you've you've got to give these pages white space. You got to give um, like the the stuff room to breathe and sometimes less is more rather than saying 15 things. One thing can be the main thing that that gets them over the hurdle and telling things with visuals rather than text is, is, is really good for
1: that. Very important. Very, very important. I I, I remember I was involved in um, a, a fashion um, site um, and the one we, we tested this and we, switched and this is i'm talking 2000 and maybe 18 um so we we switched the the studio um you know nice the studio photos on their category pages with like social media um so they're just um you know um there were either customers or influencers most of them were influencers wearing um you know um the the items rather than um, just their models on, on category pages and the, the click through rates, um, more than tripled just off the back of, um, you know, just being more relatable products. Obviously there was an inconsistency with the, with the way, with the way the photos were presented. but it was, it was mind blow mind blowing essentially.
0: I, I believe it. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so, speaking to retention where where all the magic happens and i know you know you you work largely to 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 get in um you know brands to market and you know allowing them you know just you know get there first whether it's a thousand customers or first ten thousand customers or what have you um what what first principle um you know first principle what first principles should we be um, very, very cognizant about um, when it comes to retention?
0: Yeah. I mean, if if you have the potential of a product that has high repeat purchases, where your lifetime value extends beyond that first purchase, the more you get this dialed in, the the more impactful all everything's going to be um, for your business. And so what that means is, what is your unique strategy that allows you to make email a conversion machine, whether that's your onboarding flows, your win back flows, your abandonment flows, but do it along the lines of what's the average close time? What's the average repeat purchase time? And what is the decision journey they have to go down? Do you have to retrain them or reposition it to buy this thing not once a year, but once a month? Um, and then another thing where we're really seeing things go to the next level, email's obviously very important, but if you can bolt on an SMS text messaging strategy that is, a deeper relationship with the consumer, you have gold on your hands. Like for example, Curology, um, their skincare product that's personalized for you with SMS, they connect you with the dermatologist, so they can track how your skin's doing and getting better. Um, that really leans to having a, a strong subscription product with with high retention because you're you're getting access to a doctor. Hmm.
1: Hmm. It's it's highly personalized with, with SMS. I, I can imagine it is highly personalized. It's interesting very very interesting um yeah so all in all um what what do you think the team you know um so actually from your interactions with brands that are really you know i um, rocking it's really really performing now in 2022 what does their team look like and i'm speaking to to either startup teams you know um launching e-commerce brands or you know um, brands looking to to deliver further growth, what, what are you seeing? Um, yeah, what, what what what's the constituency of, of their teams? Obviously, their teams are working with you guys, um, but, but how how are they driving growth with with key personnel?
0: Yeah, it's it's really defaulting to a team that not not necessarily is big, but actually leaner, but can move fast. Because at the end of the day, with your My overall growth strategy, when you look at your 12 months, you're going to have natural demand in Q4 and maybe like Q2 and then troughs in Q1 and Q3. So how can you maximize demand throughout those years? And you have the right team to support that, right? And so we're seeing heavy emphasis on community as marketing, people bolting on community to it. Another thing is someone that is almost customer services marketing, especially with the high retention product. Mm-hmm. That is something that has kind of become the new uh, social media manager. It's really the kind of customer service manager that also does social where they're very transparent with what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, as people get past an A round, we're seeing some really impressive things with like a data team and data scientist, mm-hmm. um, And then more and more brands are really trying to crack the code on TikTok, where instead of finding a social media manager to do that, they're actually finding people internally at their company that are, actually social media minded so they can show more behind the scenes of what they're doing with the brand so th- those are some things that, that that we're seeing
1: interesting very 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 interesting right um final point is just the role on finance and in, in um in creating um a culture defining or more or less a, a challenger brand um what 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 is the role of of raising money and um is you know uh, just like to hear your thoughts since you work with so many companies in in that situation,
0: yeah, I mean, when it comes so this this is a big discussion around do you want to be the d to c brand that's raising money and going for the moon, which it's amazing to have those resources. It's amazing to get the headlines, but you raise $10 million, these investors want a 10X return. So you got to hit a hundred million dollars. So if you raise $50 million, you keep moving the goalposts back where it, it can be really hard to land that plane. Even if you look at Allbirds and Cass or I, I guess Casper um, and Warby Parker, it, it's been hard to switch from growth to profitability. So if you're going to go down that path, know what is the maximum you want to raise because the goals are very high with that. On the flip side, look at like um, Born Primitive, look at what um, Viori's done, Viori did eventually raise, but when you aren't raising as much money, you don't have to move those goalposts as far back as far as the outcome you want. Um, so we're, we're seeing smaller, big rounds, to be honest, with the, a lot of the D2C brands who are, are trying to kind of cobble together funds to, to do it themselves. But um, it's been a really interesting kind of shift just in the past year.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned something that really resonates with earlier, which is like the three ways to grow, which is you know organic, paid, and channel marketing. Um, there's there's a brand, Hero Cosmetics. Don't know whether you've heard about them. They they're a hundred million you know dollar brand. They're less than three years old, if if my math is is correct. And um they're, they're they're everywhere. They're they're in Target stores, um, they're 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 in Walmart, um, they're they're on Amazon and they're D 2 C. So they don't really see themselves as d 2 C brand. They they obviously found validation D 2 C, but they were fast to market. They're funded, um, but they're they're growing really fast. Do you think this is the 3 factor model moving forward where you test D 2 C and then you you scale?
0: Yeah, I, I mean for me, uh... I want to push off the funding as much as I can because a lot of times the issue is product people can it scale and then doing that. So I, um, I'm um i quite fast, fascinated by that option. I think people and it's easier than ever to stand up companies and products and then get more traction. So I, I, I'm
1: pretty bullish on that. Awesome. 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 Great. Um, Jim, um, I think, I think we, we, um, we, uh, I think that we, we've exhausted, um, you know, um, the, the, the questions I, I have for you. Um, but before I let you go, I'd like you to jump in on our, um, rapid fire question session. I'm going to ask you three questions and if you could use, um, a single sentence to answer, so actually I'm going to answer you, I'm going to ask you six questions. And if you could use a single answer to, to, to answer each of these questions, it'd be, it'd be great perfect right are you a morning person i am now that i have kids (laughs) what does your daily morning routine look like um i wake up i do a
0: 30 minute um workout down the street at 6 15 a.m and then i have 30 minutes to do a, a morning journal um and i try and write for 20 minutes
1: brilliant brilliant what two things can't you live without oh my
0: gosh um My Rad Power Bike that I just got, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with um, my Viore workout shorts. Mm
1: -hmm. What book are you currently reading or listening to? Uh, Made in America, uh, the Sam Walton story. Okay. Um, Finally, what's been your best mistake to date? I mean, a setback that's given you the biggest feedback.
0: Hmm. we've made um a hiring decision um that that did not work out that kind of opened our eyes to how we should actually build our company that shouldn't be doing what other people do but our own innovative way
1: interesting okay right jim it's been an absolute pleasure having you, um, to speak to, 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 to your story and that of growth Hit, your, your agency. Um, for those who want to find out more, you know, about growth Hit, um, I would drive them to growth with, with two H. So it's G R O W T H H I T.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. Are you guys active in any social media platforms? If, if yes, um, which ones? Um, yeah, well, really, it's just we're kind
0: of active as our in, as individual team members. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman, and, and that's where we're the most active.
1: Brilliant. Thank you for coming on the 2X Ecommerce Podcast, Jim. Coonley, thank you so much for having me. Cheers.